This one is a long one, okay? We're in 2 Timothy 2. It's a long one. 26 verses. So we'll try to get through it here. Um, and uh, I, I know I fly through these uh, pretty quickly, but we're, we're, we're studying these pastoral epistles of 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, written to pastors, Timothy and Titus. Timothy was pastor of church bishop of Ephesus and Titus was on the island of Crete. And uh, so we're up to 2 Timothy chapter number 2. And uh, so write down anything you want to. We uh, uh, start with verse number 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So there's an old cliche about hermeneutics. Whenever you see the word therefore, what is it? Find out what it's there for, okay? It's a conjunction. It ties chapter 1 to chapter 2. And notice the advice in verse 1 to Timothy. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Because in the first chapter, we saw some of Timothy's timidity, some of his fears, um, he was encouraged not to be ashamed of Jesus Christ, not to be ashamed of the Word of God, not to be ashamed of the Apostle Paul, his friend who was in prison. Don't be ashamed of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and so it was a very, very human chapter uh, where we see that Timothy and pastors aren't perfect. They're made out of clay. Uh, they can have fears and uh, they can have um, shame. It shouldn't be that way. And so I believe that's why we have this conjunction in verse 1 of chapter 2. Thou therefore, my son, notice, be strong. Be strong in what? Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So the grace of God can do so much for us besides save us. Now, one of the things the grace of God can do is, is lift us up above fears, above shame, above timidity, and uh, help us to be strong. The word strong here in verse 1 means to be empowered by. To be empowered by. Thou therefore, my son, be empowered by or in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so I would put that very, very high on your prayer list every day. God, give me your grace for today. Because you don't know who you're going to cross paths with, what kind of a conversation is going to come up, uh, what you're going to face, what kind of trial you're going to go through. But we should be praying for grace all the time. There's saving grace, living grace, and dying grace in the scriptures. And we need grace every day whether we live or whether we die. And so this is what can elevate Timothy to be the good, strong, <coughs> bold leader that God would have him to be. Now, we have <coughs> four comparisons uh, from different aspects of life to help the preacher. In verse 2, we see the teacher. In verses 3 and 4, the soldier. In verse number 5, the athlete. And verse number six, the farmer. And so here's some uh, 
pictures from life and from other um, professions and things that the preacher can learn from. The importance of teaching is found in verse 2. It says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So really we have about four generations here. You got Paul teaching Timothy and other witnesses. And they are to commit what they have been taught to faithful men who will then be able to teach others also. This is God's plan for education. We need faithful men. We need young faithful men who can be taught by older faithful men. Every generation. I mean, we're all like one generation uh, away from going back to the dark ages. If there are not some young men to pick up the mantle and uh, to learn what others have been taught before them. And so we've got to find faithful men. I want to encourage all of you men, regardless of your age, to be a faithful man. Just be faithful. I'm probably preaching to the choir tonight because you're here on a Wednesday night. But be faithful. Be faithful to the Lord every single day because we have got to commit the faith to you so you'll be able to teach others also to keep the faith going. It's it's something that we are reminded of a question our Lord once asked, an open-ended question. He said, when I come, will I find faith on earth? It's up to us to answer that. When I come, will I find faith on earth? And certainly we are told prophetically back, we saw this back in 1 Timothy 4, and um, uh, 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. But he talked about how some would depart from the faith in the last days. In the latter days, some would depart from the faith. Not all, but some would depart from the faith. And we see a lot of heresy today in the body of Christ. A lot of apostasy. A lot of compromise. A lot of worldliness in churches where people have departed from the faith. And so... So there's, there is the uh, comparison of a teacher here in verse number two. And then a soldier, uh, the bishop, the pastor should, should uh, look at soldiers, whether he was in the military or not. Uh, they are on display for us often. And in verses three and four, Paul says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And so now the bishop, uh, the pastor, uh, is to learn from soldiers and apply that to his ministry, that there will be, verse 3, hardness. Thou therefore endure hardness. And as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, and in, in, in America, it's probably been easier to be a pastor than anywhere else. But, uh, boy, a lot of pastors have had to endure a lot of hardness. And we have to be careful because uh, um, it seems today that, that, that some who are being attracted to the ministry are soft. 
You know, they want to uh, have everything provided for them right from day one. You know, they want to have all their, you know, how much am I going to get paid? What kind of a transportation package am I going to get? What kind of a health care package am I going to get? And so on. And these are some of the questions they're starting to ask as they go to uh, uh, churches that are looking for their pulpits to be supplied and their office of a pastor fulfilled. Well, I don't know when I started, we didn't ask any of those questions. Uh, We just went forward by faith, uh, often with nothing, and uh, God just miraculously took care of those things for us. Um, And uh, he he just provided, It it was amazing, and it was a lesson I wish anyone could learn, but there was a lot of hardness to endure. And we were forced, it seems, many of us, we were forced into prayer and forced into fasting and forced into faith, uh, which were good lessons that lasted us a whole life, a whole life. And um, we, there's times we have to endure hardness. And uh, if, you know, if things are set up where it's not so hard for you, there's going to be other things. Uh, for sure, that will be hard in particular to your life that you're going to have to go through. We've got to endure hardness. We can't quit when we face hard times. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, any of you that have been in the military, there's I see Marines here, Army, Navy, Air Force, you know they make it hard on you intentionally, especially when you first come in and you go off to boot camp or... Uh, basic training, whatever they called it for you, they, they made it hard. They made it hard because they didn't want soft people in there. But we need to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. The way is not always easy uh, for a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He is to obey the orders of his captain. Jesus is the captain of our salvation and you know, again, just don't listen. You know, people say, well, remember those days? Don't go to New York. That's a preacher's graveyard. And so we had 30 different men come to Buffalo, stay for a year or less, and then leave, uh, who said they were called to come to Buffalo, but in a year's time, all of a sudden, uh, their calling changed. And I remember when Dr. Barney Lee brought that out, and he had kept a list of all these guys that had come to Buffalo But it had been hard. It wasn't like the Bible uh, colleges had taught them, you know, where you you go somewhere where you're going to have hundreds and hundreds of people in a year or two or three, and it's not going to happen in Buffalo. But Buffalo needs people that will endure hardness as good soldiers of Jesus Christ in this area in New York State also. Verse 4, No man that war (laughs) entangleth himself (coughs) with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. So a pastor needs to be a separated man. He is not to be entangled with the affairs of this life. He doesn't have to get involved in every organization in town and, and be worldly and try to show the community, hey, I'm just like everybody else. No, the community needs to see something different. Same thing with churches. They need to say, hey, that church is different. That church is peculiar. We don't 
We're, we're warring. No man that warreth. We've got to realize it's a warfare to be in the ministry. You're, you're fighting for souls. You're, you're fighting for sound doctrine and sound words. And, and it never ends. Uh, there, there's so many battles that have to be fought. And uh, for separation. And you fight against the world and the flesh and the devil. Uh, the, the church from getting worldly. And you can't entangle yourself with the affairs of this life, but you rather have to please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has chosen us to be soldiers. Soldiers. There's a military flair to some of Christianity. It's a, it's a disciplined lifestyle. Christianity is a disciplined lifestyle. It doesn't just happen. It's done on purpose. And uh, it takes a lot of character to be a good Christian. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. That's what John R. Rice used to say. If Christianity was easy, everybody would be doing it. But uh, challenge somebody, challenge a man to walk around with the Bible for seven days. Uh, see if he could even handle that. Now we have the athlete. Verse 5. Here's another um, comparison from life that can help those in the ministry and, and Christians. It says, If any man strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. Now that word masteries comes from a Greek word, A-T-H-L-E-O. A-T-H-L-E-O, athleo. We have an English word derived from that, athlete. Okay, there's always been Athletes. Uh, in Jesus' day, there was wrestling, there was boxing, there was the Greek Olympics, and um, who knows what else they had come up with. But the people who strive for the masteries, even to this day, it is unbelievable the discipline they put in to trying to get to the Olympics or to try to make it in some professional sport. These are extremely disciplined. They have this strive lawfully. They have to take care of their bodies and go to bed at a certain time and eat a certain kind of diet and get up at a certain time and exercise at a certain time and they, they strive and they strive and they strive uh, without interruption and without distraction. And some of you maybe have been involved in athletics and, and you know how much when you have a goal, when you have, when you have a goal, um, how much you put into it. And... Uh, most of you heard my story. I set two school records at Orchard Park. And, but that was five years of track and field. It was in my senior year I set those records. And one of them lasted for 40 years. But boy, I'll tell you what, I, I, I gave my undivided attention to that goal. Uh, and I won't go into the details of what I went through to achieve that goal. Um, and, and the word is striving. That's the Bible word. You've got to strive. Yet is he not crowned except he abides by the, the laws. He's not using enhancing drugs and, and cheating and so on. In 1 Corinthians 9.25 it says, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate, self-controlled in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. In other words, we should put more into our Christian goals, 
our goals of being a Christian than we ever put into when we were athletes. And then there's the farmer, verse 6. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. And we discussed that matter back in 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 through 18. But farming is no... I don't know what we're going to do. Nobody wants to be farmer these days. They work so hard. And... um, and we got the Chinese buying up our farmland. That's a great, that's a comforting thought tonight, isn't it? But farming is so hard. The days are so early. The days are so long. Uh, and he laboreth, but he is a partaker of the, the fruit. So there's those four comparisons from different aspects of life that he kind of concludes with verse 7. Consider what I say. And the Lord give thee understanding in all things. May the Lord give you understanding about being a teacher, about being a soldier, about being an athlete, about being a farmer, and looking at their examples and bringing that into the ministry so you can have some success for the Lord in the ministry or in your Christian life. But this is especially written to pastors. Pastors should be disciplined people hard-working people, character people. And unfortunately, for some reason, the ministry often attracts lazy people. It often attracts lazy people, and they're just killing churches dead and uh, keeping them from having fruitful seasons, closing them up. It, it's sad, but it shouldn't be that way. Uh, when we read the Bible, we should say, hey, if I put my all into this or this or this, I should put my all into serving the Lord. Verse 8, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. That's an important phrase right there because that's defined for us in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, Paul made this claim. Listen carefully. And I know you've heard this before, but let's let's not listen to it, but let's hear it. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which you have also received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Now listen carefully. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. Okay, so we preach Paul's gospel, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to very simply define it this way, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. My gospel, okay, the one Paul was given by the Lord when the Lord said, I want to set this straight for the rest of time that this is the gospel message. Paul, I'm giving it to you. You write it down. And what is it? Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, was buried and rose again. So there's no, you know, because uh, there's other, you know, in the, in the Bible, the gospel of the kingdom and some people get all confused about that kind of stuff. And those are true story, good gospel Uh, messages, but my gospel, 
is Christ. And that's what he says here in verse 8. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. So here at Faith Bible Baptist Church, we preach Paul's gospel. Um, And uh, Timothy is told to remember this. Don't go off with all these other gospels that uh, people are preaching uh, these days, adding this, that, and the other. Wherein I suffered trouble. So again, he's in the Mamertine prison in Rome as an evildoer. That's what the world's going to think you're evil. They're going to call the good evil and the evil good, and next week we'll see in the prophecies they're, they're not going to like those that are good in the last days. Even on the bonds, so there he is chained, and probably his wrists, his ankles, whatever. But the word of God is not bound. And so Paul's suffering trouble, and will probably suffer trouble too. I know it's a lot easier in America than it was in Rome, but or in the Roman Empire, but still, if, if we're gospel preachers, there's some that are going to not like it, uh, that, that we're talking to them. Now, the word of God is not bound. Uh, Spurgeon has a note on this, what this statement may, meant to him. Spurgeon said about this phrase, the word of God is not bound. What are the reasons the word of God is not bound? It's not bound because it is the voice of the Almighty. How would you bind that, you know? If the gospel is indeed the gospel of God, and these truths are a revelation of God, omnipotence is in them. It is not possible that the omnipotent word can be bound. Moreover, the Holy Spirit puts forth his power in connection with the word of God. And as he is divine, he is unconquerable. He comes as a rushing mighty wind, and who can stop him? He comes as a fire. And who can stand before his flaming vehemence? The Holy Spirit's being with the gospel is the reason for its great power. It is not that truth alone is mighty and will prevail, but that the spirit of truth works mightily by it and causes it to subdue human minds. And so that's why the word of God is not bound. Whether they hear something, they get a gospel track or something, the The omnipotent Holy Spirit accompanies the word, whether it's preaching, teaching, singing, uh, testifying, witnessing, soul winning, or whatever, the Holy Spirit, you're not the only one talking, the Holy Spirit is also talking on the inside. The Holy Spirit can can use anything to uh, trigger a thought in somebody at any time. So the word of God is not bound, You you can't bind it, you can't censor it. They try to, but they can't. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, verse 10, (coughs) that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And I believe he's referring here to some of the statements he made in Romans 9, verses 1 through 3, where he wished himself accursed for his brethren Israel's sake, Romans 10, 1, that they all might be saved. And so Paul says, I endure everything. Everything I suffer, I suffer for the elect's sake, which is the Jews and or the Gentile church after they are saved. If you're saved, you're, you're, the, you're the elect. But Paul wanted the Jews to be saved so badly that he endured anything that he could for that motivation 
that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 11, it is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall live with him. We shall also live with him. Uh, Life always comes from death. We think of Jesus' words in John 20 and verse number 24 about that um, uh, grain of wheat, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it shall bring forth fruit. And if you die, you'll bring forth fruit. If I die, we mean dying to sin. We mean dying to self. If we die, we will bring forth fruit. That's what I think verse 11 is referring to. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. That's precious. And there's many verses on that, on rewards and reigning with Christ. So if we suffer, just if you suffer anything at work, school, neighborhood, for Jesus Christ, just go home rejoicing and saying, well, praise the Lord. I'm going to reign with him someday. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Matthew 10 and verse 33 and Mark chapter 8 and verse 38 says that he's actually going to be ashamed of some people at the judgment seat. And uh, But verse 13, if we believe not yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. And if our heart condemn us, John said, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. And uh, so let's not deny the Lord, but if we should, he remaineth faithful, abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself, and he has promised us, as Paul said in the last chapter, uh, he was persuaded that he would keep that which he had committed unto him against that day. Verse 14, of these things put them in remembrance, charging them, before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Now, I believe the them, mentioned twice here, refers back to verse 2, and that is the faithful men that were committing the word to and teaching them these things. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. And so we, we got to avoid the theological trivia debates. And there's always somebody out there that has those, you know, that theological trivia that no one can answer. Uh, you know, that I got your question, you know, I stumped the pastor, or I stumped that. I'll admit it, I don't know everything. And uh, so if you stump me, uh, I'll give you a standing ovation. What a, what a wonderful accomplishment. You stumped Art Cole. That's amazing. Wow. Uh, boy, you ought to be proud of yourself the rest of your life. You stumped Art Cole with a question you couldn't answer. But I've had that. I had one on the phone a couple weeks ago. But uh, there's always those. And there must have been those in this day. Because um, Paul is telling Timothy and the younger preacher's that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. That word subverting is actually the Greek word catastrophe. And uh, these people that get into all their theological trivia, and uh, they're, they're debating people, um, what a waste. They, they don't pr- produce any 
lasting fruit in anybody by edifying words, but rather a catastrophe. So we're told in verse 15, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That phrase, rightly dividing the word of truth, means to properly dissect into pieces. And that's what we call dispensations. Uh, we got to be careful that we're properly dissecting the word of God. We don't dissect it and throw out pieces. But we, we, we want to make sure that... Um, you know, as what we're teaching for the dispensation that we are living in. And, uh, you know, I had a man who, who went through all, just about a year ago with me, went through all the, uh, the holidays and holy days of the Jews in their calendar, and he said, this is what I live by. And he was talking about the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread and so on and so forth. You celebrate Christmas and Easter, but I celebrate these right here. I said, well, if you're going to be under the law, you've got to keep the whole law. You can't offend the whole law. You can't offend in one. It's a whole. Uh, and Jesus said, if you offend in one point, you're guilty of the whole thing. Are you sure you want to go back under that? And uh, so uh, there are those that don't rightly divide the word of truth. So we believe in dispensations, and uh, there's about seven of them, but, the, but God is also sovereign, and we know that, that he, he can do things as he pleases. Uh, he, he's God, and we're not going to tell him when he can be God and when not, but, but uh, the purpose for our study in verse 15 is to be a workman, not to be a debater, all right, not to win every argument, not to fight with people, blogs. I know one guy out of the ministry now because he got so deep into blogs and trying to fight with people. He neglected his church, and the church closed its doors. He neglected the congregation while he was trying to convince people. Yeah, there's some people on the internet, you're not going to convince them about anything. All right, they are going to argue and argue and argue and argue and argue with you. No, we should study so we can be workmen, that we're, that we're in the, the fields, we're trying to win souls, we're trying to help the new babes in Christ, and study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We, we should study just so we can do God's work, not uh, so we can think we're the most brilliant theologian. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Uh, so we're to study and we're to shun. Shun what? Profane. That's ungodly and empty uh, babblings. This was mentioned uh, in the first book to Timothy too. The same words. Shun profane and vain or empty babblings. For they will increase unto more ungodliness. They don't produce a spiritual people. Verse 17, and their word will eat as doth a canker. That's the word gangrene. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. These guys got their names in the Bible. Once. What a sad way to get your names in the Bible. Uh, these two men had apparently opposed Paul. 
and apparently had, had gotten in amongst the body of Christ, the church. Their word was wrong. Their doctrine was wrong. It was like a gangrene. And if you've ever seen that, that's not good. And they just keep cutting off someone's leg or something like that, and they can't function anymore like they should. For they will increase unto more ungodliness. Who, in this case, Paul gives an example, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. So Paul actually brings out the false doctrine of these two men that was affecting people. It was overthrowing the faith of some. Some were convinced. Some were convinced that these guys were the the voices of truth, Hymenaeus and Philetus, and that the resurrection was past. Boy, if we, without that, what do we have? Nevertheless, the foundation of the Lord, stand, God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. That's good news. God knows them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Be a separated Christian. All right? Make sure God knows you. And be a separated Christian. I believe verses 20 and 21, he's using a great house as a picture of you and I as individuals. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and honor, but also of wood and earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. And so there's stuff in our lives, gold and silver and wood, hay and stubble. And we need to purge ourselves uh, of anything that's dishonorable. Don't hold on to it. Get rid of it. Because if a man purge himself from these, verse 21, he shall be a vessel unto honor. Sanctified, that is made holy, and meet, that means fit for the master's use. That's good. Uh, God uses clean vessels. God uses vessels that are fitted for his use and prepared unto every good work. There's so many good works mentioned in the Bible. And God wants to prepare a man for all of them, to be fruitful in all of those. But he has to flee also youthful lust. I've got to go quick here. This is a long chapter. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. <clears throat> but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. Spurgeon says about these two verses, run away from them. It is no use contending with them. Fight with the devil. Resist the devil and make him flee, but never fight with the flesh. Run away from that. The only way to avoid the lust of the flesh is to stay out of its way. If you subject yourself to carnal temptations and fleshly lusts, remember it is almost certain that you will be overcome by them. Just think about that. He wrote that back in the 1800s. All right, what's it like now? Okay, we're not supposed to fight with the flesh. We're supposed to flee. Flee also. Youthful lusts especially as you are growing just out of curiosity and changes in your body and hormones, 
There are youthful lusts that you need to flee from any kind of a situation where you might put yourself in temptation. Be like Joseph. Just get out of that. Just run uh, from that. Flee youthful lusts. But follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace. Those are great words. With them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So we need to have good companions, good companions. And who are those in verse 22? Prayer partners. Prayer partners. A good companion is a prayer partner who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Boy, it'd be nice if everybody had a a prayer partner or a couple prayer partners that they hung around with You don't really go astray too much praying with people. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strife. Uh, Foolish means empty. Unlearned means nobody can answer them. (laughs) There's questions nobody has the answer to. And so why even bring them up? All they do is gender strifes. So before you come up with a question or before you go up to Pastor Barron or something, say, I got a question for you. You know, some people are. I got a question for you. Oh, wow, I stumped Pastor Barron. Ring a dingling. Maybe they should give you a trophy or a blue ribbon or a medal or something. You know, or a certificate. I stumped the pastor. Uh, Ring a dingling. Uh, there are unlearned questions that nobody knows the answer to, and all they do is gender strifes. All right, and the servant of the Lord must not strive. That's not God's method of ministry, striving with people, fighting with people, but be gentle all, unto all men, apt to teach. That's the way we communicate is by teaching and patience, uh, not by one-on-one striving with people. In meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. How sad that people oppose themselves and they don't even know it. They don't even know it. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. The devil is a trapper. That's what the word snare means. To trap. And he likes to trap people by getting them to come to a screeching halt over one question they can't get their answer to. I've learned just go around those questions and keep going on for the Lord. And if he chooses, he might answer that question. If not, I'll just have to go into eternity and find out then. Like B.H. Carroll. He said, I had a thousand questions when I got saved from the Bible. I had them marked. He says, by the time I died, by the, by the end of his life, there was only six left that he didn't get an answer to. And he said, you know, God did pretty good showing me a lot of stuff. I think I can just, I mean, if we had the answer to every question, we'd be, we'd be God. No, God's going to leave you and I stumped about some things just to humble us, just to keep us trusting in him, just to keep us wondering, just to keep us searching. And sometimes when he does give us an answer, it just opens up another question uh, to, to some other. And, and, and that, that, that's life. I, I know more today than I've ever known before. But I also realize there's more I don't know. 
than I've ever thought of before because one answer just opened up and, and, and finally the you get towards the end of your life and you just start saying, boy, I don't really know much at all. And uh, that's a good thing. I'll close with this, and, and we didn't do this justice, but I, I hope some of the thoughts will help you as, as, as leaders or Christians. Solomon, who was as wise as a man ever, ever was, asked this question. He made this statement. He says, be not overmuch... Um, be not righteous overmuch, neither make thyself overwise. Why shouldest thou destroy thyself? Man, what a question. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 16. Be not righteous overmuch. Don't think you're so righteous overmuch. Neither make thyself overwise. Well, I got all the answers. I got it all figured out. Why shouldst thou destroy thyself? No, God reveals things unto babes. People who stay humble all their life keep learning all their life. And the more they learn, the more they realize humbly they don't know. And God can just keep teaching them all their life. And this is the kind of spirit the pastor should have and every Christian should have. And Paul's trying to get Timothy uh, to see. So let's pray. Father, help us to avoid the unlearned questions, the foolish questions, things that people just want to gender strifes with that, that uh, end up being catastrophic to the hearers rather than edifying. Help us to study to show ourselves approved to God and uh, not to man so that we're workmen, work women that you can use. And, and uh, Lord, we, we just uh, thank you for this long text and pray you'd help things to stay on our hearts uh, that you have shown us tonight. And dismiss us, Lord, now with thy blessing, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Appreciate you coming out tonight. Men's breakfast. Don't forget that. Saturdays, youth groups, Friday night, men's breakfast, church, Sunday school. Coming up, you are dismissed. Amen.